Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Music Buzz Podcast. The Music Buzz Podcast features candid discussions with and about those behind the scenes in the music business, including industry veterans representing the segments of musician, design, and live. All three Music Buzz podcast hosts have spent their careers working with the biggest names in entertainment and have been and are still a fly on the wall. Dane Clark as the drummer for John Mellencamp's band for over 20 years and various solo projects. Hugh Sign, a world-renowned graphic artist with the biggest names in music and the corporate world. Andy Wilson, an award-winning marketing and public relations executive with over 20 years of combined multi-level entertainment industry experience in the music and sports business. Now let's buzz. Hello and welcome back to the Music Buzz Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Andy Wilson, along with Dane Clark. Hey, Dane. Hi, Andy. And also Hugh Syme. Hey, Hugh. Hello, Andrew. Over the years, Wendy Dio has been involved in many aspects of the music business, including management, stage set design, concert video production, and also served as executive producer on numerous gold and platinum albums. In 2010, she co-founded the Ronnie James Dio Stand Up and Shout Cancer Fund, which has raised millions for research, education, and early detection screenings. Today, we're going to delve into the recent deluxe edition releases of the final four Dio albums and the fantastic new documentary, Dio Dreamers Never Die. I watched it the other night, and it is fantastic. So congrats. But welcome to the Music Buzz, Wendy. Hi. How are you? Thank you for having me. We're glad you're here. I watched the uh, beginning. I didn't get to see the whole documentary yet, but as soon as we're finished here, I'm going to finish it. It is incredible, uh, as Andy says. I've got to tell you that the first time I heard Ronnie James was 1975. I was 15 years old, big, deep purple fan, especially Richie Blackmore. And I knew he'd quit the band and I bought that first Rainbow record and put that needle down. And it was odd because somebody, th- there's a part in at the beginning of the documentary where a guy's out in a car and he, and he hears Man on the Silver Mountain for the first time. Well, I remember hearing it and going, first off, what a great guitar riff. And then, whoa, who's that guy singing? <laughs> I was blown away. And uh, immediately there's a, there's a guy with a classic rock instrument in his throat that I'd never heard before just badass and i'll never forget that it was like well who what who was this guy i even liked his voice with the red caps i thought holy fuck. oh when, <laughs> when i heard that stuff this morning i got chills when he when he did the song that Cher did later uh, yeah in about 64 or whatever it was like wow how fantastic right up there with the major crooners yeah yeah and the and the, the idea that he was a an awesome trumpet guy and that breathing that's how he he never really took voice lessons but he got he got the you know he got a lot of those chops from playing trumpet just 
What what an amazing story. I think we start there. Before we were on the call, I was talking to Hugh earlier, Wendy. And it was interesting. I watched it Friday night. I uh, watched the whole documentary. It was awesome. And as I was watching it, there were words that were coming to mind. And those words, I wrote them down. They were kindness, uh, work ethic, giving back, mentoring, principles, all of the above. And, you know, it, it was really, re what a story, man. Just tell us about the, and I'm, I'm super picky about documentaries. Okay. I love them, but when they're bad, they're bad. This was really good. Tell us about, I, I want to hear your story about the process of making this documentary. I had to be daunting, but bravo to you. Please tell us the story about putting it together. Well, for many years, people have asked me to do a documentary. Time was never right. People were never right. And BMG came to me and they uh, financed it. And they said, I figured, well, the time was right. So I interviewed a lot of different directors. None of them really right. And I met Don Argar and Demian Fenton. They were big, huge fans of Dio. They knew what they were doing. They had already done um, a, a, an Alec Baldwin thing and uh, Imagine Dragons. And um, mm. I, I really liked them. And so mm. we started the progress. Um, but I'm very protective of Ronnie's stuff. So I really didn't give him a lot. Um, we were just going along knowing each other. And then... Um, COVID hit. So the the uh the documentary should have been done in about two years. It took us three years because we were a year downtime. But because of that downtime, I got more to know them. And then I released more and more stuff to them. And in the end I just said, oh, take what you want, it's all here. And mm -hmm. and we were making it. I, I wanted Ronnie's story and they knew what I wanted. I didn't want, you know, the regular documentary sex, drugs and rock and roll, because that wasn't Ronnie. I needed people to know the real Ronnie, what he was about, the good times, the bad times, the in-between times, the real Ronnie, and also to find some gems that even the hardest fan didn't know about Ronnie. And I think we found a few gems there. But they did an excellent, excellent job. I was really happy with it. I'm really, really happy with it. Yeah, you should be. I mean, what, just looking at just the relationship between he and his dad, who he highly respected, but I also respect his dad for being so hard on him because that discipline paid off. I mean, the fact that three hours on the trumpet is a lot of practicing. I had to for practice, a youngster, no, no question. Yeah, I had to practice piano, piano for forty-five minutes to an hour a day, and kind of hated my mom at the time. I love her now for having <laughs> insisted, but, but I, I think it's fast. And, and you had some phenomenal archival imagery, which I think really drove the documentary in a beautiful way. You know. Yeah, was all that was all that stuff stuff that you had like personally, Wendy, or uh, stuff I had? A lot of it came from Ronnie's mom. She had uh, she had gathered things from day one with Ronnie. So a lot of the stuff we got from well, she passed away, but we had uh, gone to when Ronnie's mom passed away. Ronnie and I went to the house and and uh, took a bunch of stuff. So a lot of the archive stuff we got from there. Uh, Ronnie's cousin. Uh, uh, David Rock Feinstein, who was in the Rods and also an Elf, he helped with a lot of stuff too. So between us all, we 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 got a lot of. That's how we got the stuff. Um, we went through so many, so many boxes and stuff. So many Super Eight, so many things that you know had been around for a while. A lot of it wasn't the stuff we used. It took time to go through, but we did go through all this stuff and found what we found for the documentary. That's true. You bring up an interesting point, which I guess is sort of kind of obvious, but all of the changes over, you know, such a vast and long career, but when you're talking about stuff that's 
on film or on VHS or on, you know, uh, tape or whatever it's on. I'm sure. 45s from 1961. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That was, but you're right. I mean, when I think about some of the documentaries that I love and go back to and rewatch over the years, whether it was like that great one, the Beatles made or the stones, you always see those, you know, those gems of photos of like, you know, Mick and Keith when they were little by the train station or whatever. And this documentary has all of those and more because there's mm. just so many, like every, every personal story has something to accompany it or, you know, a bunch of photos and a bunch of, uh, a bunch of archival videos. So anybody out there, man, please watch this. It's just, it's also like, even if you're not a fan of heavy metal music, it's like a great study in how to make a documentary the right way. So kudos to you for that. To your comment, Andy, that any good story has all that archival. That's sadly not the case. Too often the story exists, but there's nothing to support it. So you have a, a like a gold mine of, of, of imagery. It's, I mean, I was completely engaged watching it. I oh, loved yeah. it. I loved his grandmother. Yes. <laughs> How about that? She yeah. came up with the with the heavy metal thing, you know. Scary. Oh yeah. Scary. Yeah, that's fan. I mean, you look at that picture, you go, man, I'd be scared of her He's now. Scared. Yeah. Well, my, my thought was she doesn't have to do that, you know, just all she's got to do is look at you. <laughs> Message sent. <laughs> I love the fact that other people have tried to take credit for it when in fact you can thank his grandmother for, for warding off the evil spirits in her, in her wonderfully stern Catholic way. Yeah. I got some good news today. Well, yesterday, actually, that the documentary is number one on the uh, music videos and number one also in the UK and in the US. So I was really, really happy with that news. Congratulations. Well-deserved. Can't do much better than that. You know, it's not number two. It's not number three. It's number one. Damn it. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit more about it. Uh, the guests that you have. I mean, look, any good story has a lot of different people behind it. And I thought you did a great job of pulling all these, you know, these great guests together, um, whether it be Jack Black or, you know, Sebastian Bach or guys you know, that he played with yeah rudy rudy we had rudy uh, sarzo on the podcast a while ago he, I mean, you can't find a nicer guy than that but a lot a lot of you know craig goldie really great list of people that you that you lined up i'm not surprised because obviously so many people are are fans and and were clearly influenced by by him but um you know that was great too i mean having having all of that uh, having all those guys part of it it also just goes to show you you know kind of like you know, why was he in Rainbow? Why was he in Sabbath? Why was it's because he was an awesome guy. I mean, at the end of the day <laughs> and an amazing singer, but you kind of get the sense that even though he was an amazing singer, it's almost really because he was just such a great person. And mm -hmm, that's, that's mm -hmm. the common thread that seems to yeah. weave through this too, is that he's somebody that just had a good heart. And he had yeah. something to say once he got to Rainbow status. He wasn't going to change that. And when they, I love that part when they wanted to do that pop song, which I've always thought sucked anyway, uh, that they ended up doing after he bailed from rainbow mm -hmm. that he just kept on saying the things he wanted to say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. He never, he always kept to what he wanted, the music he wanted to make and the way he yeah. wanted to do it. And he was not afraid to say, no, I'm not going to do that. And when he left Rainbow, we had no idea what we were going to do. We didn't even have any money, you know. Right. Um, my grandmother passed away and left me a little bit of money. We bought a little station wagon. 
And I said, I think we better go back to California because we were living in Connecticut. And um, so we went back to California and he was working with a lot of different bands trying to get something together. The Baxter was one of the bands he was working with. He was working with uh, some more of the Elf guys. And then uh, that day he went into the Rainbow and met with Tony Iommi. It all changed. To that conviction and those principles, I mean, the fact that he had the bravery to say, you know, I don't feel right in, in Sabbath anymore. That's a big step away from... Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, I mean, that, like, that, that's a shocking... That it, takes balls. Yeah, I will, I will say the rainbow was at the establishment on Sunset was obviously a blessed place for you. That's where you met mm-hmm. your love of mm-hmm. your life. Yeah, and that's where some exactly. good. That's where good things happened, obviously. It's also where a lot of, to his credit and to your credit, it's also where a lot of bad things happened. It was it was the den of iniquity in the in the eighties. <laughs> yes, you know? it was. That's when you were there all the time, Hugh. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I've been there I, I, I visited David Coverdale once, and um, and that that that's mm-hmm. a that's a whole other story. Holy shit! Yeah. Separate podcast. Yeah. Now, Wendy, I know you guys met at the Rainbow, but take us back with your story a little bit, you know, kind of like where you're from, where you grew up, and how you eventually, you know, wound up meeting Ronnie there in the Rainbow. Uh, well, I uh, I worked at Decca Records uh, from when I was an intern there uh, during my school holidays. Uh, I worked for a regional agency, which is, was a um, booking agency, and I uh, worked for a couple of attorneys in music departments. Um, I met someone uh, in in uh, Zermatt in Switzerland. I was there on vacation, and I came over to visit them in uh, in California, and just stayed there. Um, and that's uh, why I was trying to get into the film business and trying to do that, working at the Rainbow to get money, whatever. And uh, I knew Richie and Babsy and those people from uh, England. And when they they had just they had just finished uh, making recording uh, Blackmore's Rainbow, but they had not um, not toured yet. And uh, they came in to the Rainbow, and I saw them, and they invited me to go to a party. They were having a big party up in Hollywood Hills, and so I went up there, and uh, Ronnie started following me around, and I was like, mm, too short for me, and uh, <laughs> you know didn't even think any more of it at all, and then. Um, we started talking and talking, and um, then uh, I, I, uh, oh, we we all ended up the whole bunch of us ended up going to Denny's for breakfast. It was about five o'clock in the morning then, and then Ronnie said, "You want to go for a drive to Malibu?" I said, "Yeah, okay." And we started talking and talking, and I think you know, I really, he was such an interesting person who would talk about anything, and yeah. uh, we started seeing each other for a couple of weeks. Uh, but then he was going on tour, and I figured, well, that was the end of it. You know, that was it. And then uh, he'd been gone for about a week, and he called me. He said, why don't you uh, quit your job and, and come and come on the road with me? And I said, well, I can't do that, but I could come for a couple of weeks. And I went for the rest of my life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. Uh, that's awesome. That's, great. that's a great. Thank you for sharing. That's awesome. <laughs> what is it about all the powerful female managers being British, you know, yourself, Sharon. Sharon. Well, actually, when we started being managers, there was only Sharon and I. There were no other women's managers. That was a big man's world, and that was hard. That was really hard because they didn't take us seriously whatsoever. Oh, it's just their wives. They don't know what they're doing. 
Um, I think we've both proven very wrong. I think now there's a lot of women managers. I think they make excellent managers. They can multitask, which men find to be difficult. They see something that's maybe some silly little thing that a man would just brush under and think it doesn't matter. But to a musician, it mattered. I've seen bands break up with silly little things. And I think women are more um, in tune with those kind of things. I think they make great managers. Yeah, well, clearly. Yeah. Hugh, you did a lot of work with uh, Trudy, yeah? I Well, not a lot. I mean, I worked on, uh, actually worked with Sharon on Kingdom Come. Um, and then I worked with Trudy on uh, all of Whitesnake's projects, um, as well as she, she took on a band called, um, well, they were the two bands, the merge, merging of Journey and the Babies called Bad English. And so we mm -hmm. worked on I remember that band. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's why I make that's why I make the comment. I mean, you know, I haven't met you, but I've heard about all the legendary British female managers. So <laughs> yeah. it is funny. I didn't even think about that before, but it's true. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we just um just go for it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Either that or your or your accent commands respect. There you There's go. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. Know about that. Absolutely. <laughs> So the documentary aside, you've also been busy, very busy, uh, working on the uh, four studio albums, um, you know, revamping those, if you will, that came out from 96 to 2004 um, for those four records. So before you were on, and Hugh and I were talking a little bit about, you know, that whole process, um, He's do he's been working on it for Rush for basically all of their reissues and redoing artwork and all that. And I think what, what people don't understand is the daunting task of doing that. It's not just a matter of going in and grabbing the old tapes and throwing it back no, out with a new, no. new wrap on it. Tell us about the process with these four records specifically, but just also just in general, like what goes into reissuing deal records uh, for you and getting it done? How long the process? Well, takes? you know, it's like um, those four records, I think, were very overlooked at the time that they came out. And we thought it was maybe time to bring them out um, again. And, of course, we had to look and think about what we were, what we were going to do. The artwork, obviously, we needed new artwork in there as well, which Mark Sasso, who's done a lot of our um, covers, he did a lot of uh, new artwork inside the inner sleeve. So we got that. Um, I thought that these four records, not only were they overlooked, but they also, oh, and they're in beautiful vinyl. We did them in beautiful 180-gram vinyl in different colors. They're really beautiful. It did a really nice. I think BMG did a really excellent job on this and so on. Um, obviously, you know, you have to do all the interviews for that. I'm sure Ronnie's laughing his head off at me for that because I've been doing all these radio tours that start at six o'clock in the morning till nine. I'm sure you know all about those. And um, so that's a lot of hard work going into that. But these four albums, not only are the last four albums uh, that Ronnie did, but if you look at the different musicians on those four albums, you know, you've got three different guitar players. You've got Tracy G, Craig Goldie, and Doug Aldrich. Uh, you've also got um, Jimmy Abbasey on one of the albums and Simon Wright on the others. You've got Jeff Pilson on there. And, uh, uh, and uh, you know, it's 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 like I'm, I'm, I like to think about all the different music. Oh, and, of course, our, our dear friend Jimmy Bob Bain is in there, too. Um, and it, I think that that's another thing that I really thought about these four albums, that, that people could listen to the different guitar players and the different musicians that are on them, which, you know, maybe before 
we didn't think about that. But this time I did think about that. And I thought this is a good idea to put the four albums out. That's awesome. So are they remixed? Obviously, remastering is something that's they're remastered. Done, but... They're not remixed. They're okay. remastered. Are yeah. there bonus we... tracks included, or yeah, there's a, a there's Electra is on the, a little uh, EP in vinyl in there. Um, there's a booklet. There's a lot of little things in there, special things in there. But you know, we're talking about remastering uh, and remixing. Uh, Warner Brothers Rhino did last year. Um, a re- remix of Holy Diver with Joe Barishi did. And I think he did an excellent, excellent job. And we're talking about doing uh, Last in Life because it'll be 40 years uh, anniversary next year. So we're talking about doing a remix of Last in Life next year. Um, I listened to that uh, the Holy Diver thing last year after it came out. It sounded ridiculous. I mean, just so good. So Yeah, just no, I think he did a really good powerful. job. And, you know, yeah. that was another thing, you know, because now um, I got back the masters from Warner Brothers that have had them forever because there was that 35-year law. And uh, so now I license them to them. So I have a lot more control in what's going on with everything. And when they wanted to remix the album, I was like horrified and was like, no, 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 wait a minute. And they suggested certain people. And I said, no, I'm going to think about who I really want to do it. And I researched and researched and I liked the work that Joe Barishi did. And I think he was, and they told me, oh, he's too busy and he's too expensive. And so I said, okay, fine. So I just called his, I called his manager and asked him and they said, oh my God, he'll drop anything to do this. He's a huge Dio fan. And uh, whatever your budget is, we're in, we're in there. And they were amazing. And I think he did a really, really good job. Yeah. I love the story. I love the story behind the Holy Diver, the, the pre-digital analog days where you actually had to take the priest and go and, and just about drown in the surf to get that. <laughs> get that. You know, that was all the idea of the artist because what happened was Ronnie and I both knew exactly what we wanted for the album cover. But neither one of us could draw even a stick pin. So we had to kind of try to portray through our minds, through his mind, what we wanted. And so, therefore, he, he was a bit crazy, Gene, Gene Hunter, that was, and Gene Kirkland, the, the photographer. So they just decided to go down and do this whole thing and bring back the photos. And we were like, yes, exactly what we wanted. <laughs> no, it, was really, it was really well done. But I, I, I love that those were all the pre the pre-digital days you actually had to do the reference photography in real you know that's the other thing ronnie hated it when uh cassettes and dvds came in because he said all oh, that beautiful artwork he goes i always i always bought an album because not just the music but i wanted to see what the artwork looked like too so sure. you know that's how your documentary opens it's it's the yeah. wonder it's the wonder years of peeling off the cellophane and smelling the board and yeah and, exactly exactly I thought about you watching that part, Hugh. You're probably like in tears of joy watching that, right? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Waiting to see that his whole life. Right yeah. It, it's establishing some kind of credibility. But at the same time, as you say, it's a bittersweet thing to watch because I'm gratefully, canva- you know, uh, vinyl's back and that big canvas has been part of my life with some of my clients. But, you know, it's, it's an era gone as and we've all gone through the music business enough to know and it's an overused phrase that I use, but we're all feeding off the carcass of what used to be the music business. That's true. That's very, very true. I always say that about, you know, people say what new young bands are coming up. I said, well, it's kind of hard because it's hard to invent the wheel again because, you know, the innovators really 
invented the wheel and what can you what can they do to uh pass what all the classic stuff was done right well kids kids can only get to the about the 20 to 30 second mark before they want to hear another song too you know true true my daughter my daughter is like so she can't watch anything like she can't watch a full thing she has to stop and and do something else for a while because she just mm. doesn't have I, it's crazy different world that's just a different era i mean a lot of it is like i was uh, my son the other night we, we had gone to see pearl jam in uh chicago and i bought the download you know to put it on my phone and i sent him a copy of it say hey, you just download on your phone and he called me he's like i don't know how to put this into my apple music i'm like it's a damn download you just drag it in and you know and it occurred to me i'm like you know he hasn't in his life ha- had to buy music, you know, let alone figure out how to take free music and put it into his own catalog. I'm like, it's just a different, it's just a different <laughs> it's era. It's a different thing. I yeah. went to Power Trip this week, last weekend. With, I took my daughter there. And she goes, yeah, I want to go and see all those old bands. <laughs> it's like, old bands? <laughs> old bands, oh, excuse me? <laughs> come on now. Yeah, come on. <laughs> oh, that's funny. How was it? It was great. It was really fun. Uh, we had a great time. Those old people still rocking, huh? <laughs> oh, my God. ACDC were amazing. Well, they were all great. You know, Breeze was great. Um, Guns N' Roses, uh, Iron Maiden. Uh, I actually didn't. We had to come back on Sunday, so I didn't get to see Metallica at all because uh, she had school. So um, that's we had to come back on Sunday. But we had a great time and hanging out with so many people there. That Eddie Trunk was there. All the people were there. All the record label people were there. It was it was it was a fun a fun trip. I, I read something about uh, Carrie Livgren, who was from the group Kansas, and of course he went out on it as a Christian musician for I don't know forty years now. And uh, there's a record called Seeds of Change that Ronnie sang on a couple of tracks. Were, were they buddies, or how did that come about? Record company just. Uh, uh, called us up and said that Kerry wanted to do uh, a couple of tracks with Ronnie and was he interested uh, so Ronnie said well send me the tracks let me listen to them and stuff and he said yeah and he was like, um, I, I, I think they were, they were great and actually I'm thinking about putting out later on some kind of a um, an album with different songs like like that one of Carrie Lippin's songs and and other things that Ronnie covered that people are not really uh, used to hearing. And I think they might want to hear the rest of all these things. That are- Tell us about some more of those. Cause I, I could, I, I really want to hear those songs. Well, Ronnie did a cover. He did a cover of, um, of Aerosmith. Um, he did a cover. Let's see. He did a cover of, uh, Welcome to my nightmare. <laughs> really? That'd <laughs> be cool. Too, yeah. Uh, Dream on. Uh, which actually Stephen even said to Ronnie, you did a great job. I think you did a better job than me. He said it to one, he did. Um, let's see what else. Oh, he did some stuff with Girls School, um, Dog Eat Dog. Uh, let's see who else have we got in there. Um, he did a, I Could Have Been a Dreamer, um, which is his own song at the Royal Albert Hall with, uh, with Deep Purple. Uh, when yeah, so there was a lot of little things, you know. And of course, Love Is All, which is one of my favorite, which he got his first gold record for, uh, for the um, for the Anne Lordridge uh, Grasshoppers. It was a, a cartoon that okay. Um, okay. he played the part of Froggy, and David Coverdale was on it too, actually. Yeah, if you could compile all that stuff, that would be incredible. Yeah, it'd be cool. fun. Yeah, with some new stuff that we have found in the vault. 
Speaking of legacy and, and the great job that you have done and are doing uh, for him, talk to us about the DO Cancer Fund a little bit. I, I've heard I heard you being interviewed at one point talking about it, and it was really really cool. And I obviously, applaud you for doing for doing such good work. But tell us a little bit more about what you're doing. Well, it came about because when Roy passed away, people were wanting to send money. Uh, I mean, big amounts of money uh, for some cause that we wanted, some charity. And I was afraid of, because uh, I've done a lot of volunteer work for different charities, and I won't name one of them, but um, I noticed that, you know, 90% of the money was going into administration costs and 10% was going where it's supposed to go. And so um, I got together with 14 of Ronnie's friends and, and uh, people we've worked with and stuff, and we decided to form the Ronnie James Dio Stand Up at Shout Cancer Fund, where every we're all volunteers, every penny goes to research and education. And we've been working very well with that. Um, we do a lot of seed money, what we call seed money. We work mostly for um, pancreatic cancer and stomach cancers, which are very hard to detect until it's stage four, and then it's too late. So um, Vanderbilt Hospital in Nashville didn't have any research whatsoever for these cancers. So we gave them $100,000 to start. And somebody else then gave them 500000 And because of that, the government gave me $11 million grant. So we've tried to give like seed money. Now, we've raised about $3 million so far. We're working with Dr. Wong at UCLA right now, who's de- uh, developing a saliva test for early detection of stomach gastric cancers and pancreatic cancer, which will be great. Because women are pretty good about going and getting checked up. Men, no, you've got to drag them there because they don't like the um, finger up the butt. Yeah. And so this is would be a non-invasive. Um, uh, so you could go to your doctor and just have a swab done in your mouth and send yeah. it away and find yeah. out if you had early detection of one of those uh, one of those uh, diseases. And I think wow. that that is really good. And we're very happy to be working with Dr. Wong. Um, as I said, you know, we we try to open up different places so there is more research. Breast cancer has come a long, long way since, but there's so many millions that have been spent on it. And so we're trying to open up to spend more and more money on research for stomach cancers, gastric cancers, and pancreatic cancers, because they're a killer. And, uh, you know, this disease doesn't care who it takes. It looks like it's so, everyone seems to know someone who's died of cancer. It's horrible. Yeah, we all do. We all do. Golly, man, if you guys get that saliva thing figured out, we don't have to do that prep anymore. And, uh, you know, we'll be doing another podcast just to thank you. That's amazing. That'd be awesome. Yeah. yeah and so I also do like two things a year for it. We do the celebrity bowling, which is coming up on the 16th of November. Um, past people have been Jack Black, you know, Dave Grohl, uh, Tom Morello, you name it. Those people all bowl for us. They're there. Everybody comes. If they're, uh, if they're not working, they're all there bowling. And Eddie Trunk has a, has a lane with all his celebrities on it. And wow. uh, it's a really cool. fun evening, and we raised a lot of money last year. I think we raised like seventy-two thousand. Nice. So this year we're doing it again, and then I uh, will do the Rock for Ronnie next year on his memorial on nineteenth of um. He died on the sixteenth, but we'll do it on the nineteenth of May, where we do a big uh concert in the park. It's a daytime thing where people bring their kids, their dogs, they just sit in the uh, sit on the grass and watch bands play. So that's another fun thing that we raise money for. Very so nice. I'm busy, busy all the time. <laughs> yeah, I guess. That sure sounds like it. Well, Gosh. Look, and yeah, I will say what you're doing 
from a legacy standpoint for with his music and with his memory and and just all the you know the cause related elements really do applaud you for that i mean it's really awesome to see that you you know that you continued that i guess it would be easy not to do it or just to do it a different way but you know you really are that's my own life now when ronnie passed away that was um, what i decided i i wanted because you know after working for so long with ronnie and his manager's wife you know and doing these things every day it was like i can't just stop so the way to do it is just to keep his memory and his music alive and for me to just continue doing what i was doing before which uh gives me a purpose in life too you know as, as i said it's also a testament to the fact that um, you, you clearly you said it in the documentary. You fell in love with his brain, and I'm sure his I'm sure his heart was very soon thereafter. But you know, he sounds like the epitome of decency and kindness. And what you're doing, is, apart from from acknowledging the, the the horrendous nature of cancer, um, you're also you know paying paying testament to his his legacy as a as a kind and decent and giving person. No, I try. I try. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was. He was very special. He was a special person. He did so much charity work that nobody knows about. He did so many things uh, that, you know, that for animals, for people, uh, autism. And, and he just was a very, very, he taught me so much to be a kind human being, you know. And he, he didn't really believe in religion because he was an altar boy and it was the Catholic thing was rammed up his throat and he was not, you know, into that. But he believed in an ultimate being, and most of it, he said, it comes from your heart, and the goodness that you do will be passed on when you pass away. Well, congratulations on all these awesome new projects, and um, obviously, you know, hitting number one with the documentary. Wow, that's awesome. That was uh, that was a surprise. It was such an amazing surprise. I was, like, blown away. I was like, whoa. You woke up to that this morning, is that right? Yesterday morning. Yesterday morning, yeah. And what, what a good day to do a podcast. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And this has been fun for podcast. Some of the interviews I do are very um, the same thing, same old stuff, whatever. This is really interesting, very interesting. Love having you. This, yeah, this is great. I mean, I found out so much. Yeah, and I just want to say, everybody's got to see this documentary. It's really, really, really engaging. As soon as we cut off here. I'm going to go finish it and I don't, you know, I don't like anything. I'm really hard to please. And this is really, really good. What a wonderful musician and guy that he was. Yeah. 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 They broke them all when the way they definitely did. He was a very special person. Very special person. Well, it takes one to know one. That's right. <laughs> For sure. If only I could live up to standards, I don't know. <laughs> it's clear that you are. Yeah, you're do- you're doing it. Maybe maybe you don't realize it, but you're doing it. And congratulations on it for sure. Continued success to you. Thank you for having me. Without your support, couldn't do things like this. So thank you so much. You Bye-bye. bet. Thank you. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. 
and why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 